Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another Ask Me Anything. This is your opportunity to ask questions of our guests. And this guest is, uh, we're pretty excited about. This is a new money experiment built on top of Ethereum. We're talking about liquidity today. Robert Lauko is the co-founder. He is our guest. Once again, this is your opportunity to ask questions of Robert about the project, where it's going, where it's headed, anything burning in your mind. David and I, of course, will get you started. Uh, David, new money experiments on Ethereum. It's one of our favorite things to talk about. What's the TLDR of liquidity? Why did we decide to bring them on for this Ask Me Anything? Yeah, the, the TLDR, in, and I actually used liquidity as an example in my uh, coin, Coindesk uh, talk uh, on Monday. It's The TLDR is that DeFi is in this inevitable, highly competitive environment for capital efficiency. Uh, and to me, that's what liquidity represents. It's, it's one of the newer projects that have come and, and debuted on Ethereum, and it's seen a ton of success in terms of uh, just TVL. Like tons of ETH has been deposited into liquidity. And the reason Billions, why- right? Billions, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We'll get those numbers up in a sec. Um, and the reason why is because it offers really competitive capital efficiency rates: a hundred and ten percent collateralization ratio and zero percent interest rates. Right? Like, uh, like zero percent interest rates on a loan. Like, there, there, there is something that you pay. So we'll we'll get into those details. But like, really competitive: hundred ten percent collateralization ratio, zero percent interest rates. Like, where can where where else in DeFi can you get those loans? Uh, and that, that's kind of the, the story and the through line of DeFi to me is capital efficiency, capital efficiency, capital efficiency. And so that's my rationale for, you know, why liquidity has seen such success and why there's been a, so much demand to, to get this AMA with Robert. Um, small disclaimer, I have a, a small seed investment into liquidity. And so I have that uh, to, to disclose, I guess. So perhaps some subconscious bias, but just know that. Uh, and... I think without further ado, Ryan, should we just get into it? We should. I have one quick question for you as mm -hmm. well. Not only is this a lending uh, protocol, of course, this is a, a stable coin, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, very, very important okay. detail. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a governance minimized uh, stable coin. And so one of the the through lines that we will be asking Robert is uh, wh why governance minimization always a good question, but also like to what degree governance minimization, right? Like there's always a spectrum, uh, and so. Yeah. Good to know. Stable, stable coin, crypto dollars, new money experiments, all really exciting things. Guys, we will be back with Robert. Bring your questions in just a minute. But before we bring Robert on, we want to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Balancer is DeFi's most powerful automated market maker. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indexes, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we used a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool. 
To top things off, Balancer is reimbursing all gas costs with Bal Rewards, meaning that all your gas costs are returned to your wallet with the Balancer governance token. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at pools.balancer.exchange. Guys, we are back with this Bankless Ask Me Anything. We're here with Robert Lauko, who's the founder of Liquidity. That is going to be the subject of today, this new monetary experiment on Ethereum, on Ethereum called Liquidity. Robert has a PhD in law, interesting background. He's also previously a researcher at Definity. So he's seen other blockchains too. I believe he started this project in 2019 as well. So he's been in the DeFi space for a while too. Robert, it's great to have you on Bankless. How are you doing today? Hi, yeah, thank you. So I'm, I'm really happy to be on this show and uh, yeah, grateful to have this occasion. And yeah, I'm feeling great today. That's awesome. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be kind of the, the almost the dumb cop here, Robert, because I think David knows a lot more about liquidity than I do. So I'm going to be the guy asking the, the really kind of dumb novice beginner type questions. And of course, in DeFi, guys, I say dumb questions. There are no dumb questions. We're all on this exploration journey together. Uh, so well, yes, <laughs> I'll try not to ask the really, really dumb questions, just the novice questions. Um, so, Robert, let's let's start here. What really is uh, liquidity? So it sounds like it's a, a stable coin or maybe kind of a, a, a crypto dollar. But what is it at the 20,000 foot view? So what liquidity really is all about is borrowing. And it tries to make borrowing as attractive as possible uh, to the borrower. And it does that by basically improving or by offering two things, one of them being interest-free loans in a stablecoin that it can issue to the borrower itself. And the other advantage is that the loans are only need to be collateralized at 110% collateral ratio. So the loans, they are collateralized with Ether, that's our sole collateral type, and that's how the system basically secures the loans. And then the whole system is completely decentralized, immutable, and it's based on a network of decentralized frontends which is also kind of unique uh, in the DeFi space. So Robert, would you say that uh, borrowing is the main attraction? Because I noticed you started there. It's kind of a borrowing protocol. Or would you say the, uh, the stablecoin output, the crypto dollar output is the, uh, the, the main attraction? Or are these like kind of two sides of the same coin in your, in your mind? That's a great question. So it all started with borrowing. Like we, I really had this idea like one and a half or even two years ago uh, that get what, what really makes borrowing most attractive and the, the two aspects that I just mentioned are among like the most important ones. So it all started with borrowing, but then I realized that in order to achieve those two goals, um, you need to be able to mint your own currency because otherwise you have capital costs. I mean, if you're like a matchmaker or you're like a pool-based platform, which takes money from lenders and gives it out to borrowers, then you would need to pay some interest to the lenders. So you cannot offer your loans for free or interest-free uh, to the borrowers. So I quickly realized that, hey, this is only possible if we mint our own token. And normally people, they want to get a loan denominated in something like in some currency that they are familiar with and and the currency in, in which they receive their salaries. And that's for many people, the US dollar. And, and so it, it made just sense to create a borrowing platform uh, with this kind of stable coin in mind, which is a US dollar packed stable coin, which allows us to um, offer those two benefits. So what, what is the, the, the main driver here then? Is it kind of in, in terms of expansion and I guess success of liquidity? Is it um, demand for LUSD, the coin itself, or is it is it demand for uh, the the unique borrowing opportunities that Liquidity provides? I mean, at the end of the day, we need both because the system needs to reach some equilibrium. So there needs to be demand for the loans, but also demand for holding or investing uh, or like using the LUSD. LUSD is the name of our stablecoin. So we have basically incentives for both uh, in place. So for, for the borrowers, it's like we already like mentioned them, 
uh, the fact that they are attractive. But then on the other hand, we also needed to make sure that you can do something with your LUSD that you borrow. I mean, either you sell it to other people who can do something with it, or even you don't need to sell it if you decide to put it in something we call a stability pool, which is our main mechanism to liquidate positions. I can maybe delve into more into that like later, but with, with, those, uh, with this stability pool, we already created something that drives demand for buying and holding uh, LUSD, our stable coin. And on top of that, or in addition to that, we also have a few um, pools in other systems, like now on Curve, we had one on Uniswap, now it's on Curve, where we uh, give out rewards to the LPs. So let's go into that that uh, st stabilization mechanism, Robert, because if we take a, a traditional model of like a, a central bank and they offer 0% interest rates, like there's going to be a ton of currency issuance, right? Like if you make money free for people, people are going to print it, right? And and so that's is kind of the law of incentives, right? And so if so, if, if there's so much like easy access to, you know, 0% interest rates with liquidity uh, or excuse me, liquidity. Uh, where does the stabilization of LUSD come from? Why doesn't it just drop down to like, you know, 0 0.99 cents, 0.8 cents? Like where, where does the uh, floor price for LUSD come from? I would say we have two uh, different mechanisms that help us to um, achieve a stable currency. And one of them is just this like soft bag mechanism that is already present in other systems like MakerDAO where borrowers have an incentive to borrow whenever the token is overpriced or overvalued and they have a like a stronger incentive to repay whenever it's undervalued. But we wanted to have something which is stronger than that. So what we added is a redemption facility so or redemption uh, opportunity for every LUSD holder. And that basically means that you have this kind of uh, right to exchange your tokens at face value for Ether. So you get like for 100 LUSD, you would get back $100 worth of Ether from the system. And that, of course, uh, offers an arbitrage cycle or possibility whenever the price trades significantly below $1, because you can just buy the LUSD on a market for less than $1 and exchange it through this redemption uh, to, for something that's more than $1 and then sell it and make a profit. So that's just one side like this. Before you, before you go on to the next one, I want to I want to uh, just drill that home a little bit because I think the reasons why you are able to do this and why LSD is able to be stabilized this, this way and correct me if I'm wrong is LUSD that, David what, not what L I just LSD. <laughs> <laughs> pardon me. Just saying. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> only one letter off. Um, uh, and so the reason why liquidity is able to stabilize LUSD is because it has extra strong commitments to Ether, the asset, as the only collateral, right? And so because uh, because the uh, liquidity is governance minimized and it only has one collateral type, which is Ether, which has very strong competitive uh, risk parameters, you are able to offer this redemption rate um, regardless of what the secondary market price of LUSD is. Is that correct? Um, I would say, I mean, it makes it much easier to offer this redemption uh, because we only need one. We only need to care about like one collateral type. I mean, in a multi-asset or multi-collateral system, it would be much more difficult and harder to achieve the same redemption uh, facility. I mean, Ether has this nice property of being decentralized and being uh, like the base currency of the Ethereum networks. So of course, it also adds to the stability of the system as a whole. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right, so let's go into the, the secondary mechanism uh, about how LUSD is, is stabilized. Yeah, so I mentioned that we have this redemption, which kicks in when, when the price drops below $1. Um, and probably our system could have done just with this mechanism. So the secondary mechanisms, uh, like a nice to have in some way, like not a necessity. But we also wanted to um, minimize redemptions as far as we could, because redemptions, they affect the borrowers, because basically what the system does when somebody redeems LUSD for Ether, then it would take the Ether from the borrower with the riskiest position, by riskiest, I mean with the lowest collateral ratio. So redemption from the borrower's perspective means 
premature repayment, which may not be like to the interest of the borrower. So that's why we wanted to minimize this friction for the lowest collateralized borrowers by introducing a fee. Uh, and, and it's basically a double fee because we have a base rate that determines two fees, that determines a borrowing fee and a redemption fee. Now, as the name already says, the redemption fee is a fee on the redeemed amount and it's a percentage. And the borrowing fee is a one-off fee, like a fee that you pay upfront but only once when you borrow. And it's also determined as a percentage of the borrowed amount. And both of fees, they are, they, they are basically the same or except for some like minor exceptions, but normally they, they move in tandem. And the way the system determines the fees is that it would measure like the amounts or the volumes of redemptions that happen during a time period. And it would adapt the fee like whenever somebody redeems, uh, the fee would go up, and if no redemptions happen over some time period, then the fee would decay slowly and again reach the minimum. And the minimum here is 0.5% for both fees. Like there is this minimum uh, cost of a loan, which is 0.5%. So, Robert, can, then, you, yeah. can you walk me through really quick? Let, let's say I want to borrow $1,000, right? Mm -hmm. LUSD. What, what, what fees am I paying? How mu and how much are they right now? So right now, I guess it's 0.53 or 54%. So it's almost the minimum. So you would basically then pay a $5.40. Um, like you don't get this amount. It's still part of your debt. Like basically when you borrow a thousand LSD against let's say two ether, then um, you only get the 900. Debt. Yes, exactly. Like you get 995, but your debt would be a thousand. That's what happens. Okay, and you pay that upfront. You don't actually pay it, but it's just part, it's rolled into the loan upfront. And that is the only fee. There's no interest fee. That's the only fee. And also I want to clarify here because that gets often confused. Like the redemption is really, is not about repaying your loan. Like when a borrower repays their own position, we call them troves. Like when a borrower repays the trove, there is no additional fee on that. Like repayment is for free. I mean, the only thing is that this kind of borrowing fee was added to the initial debt. So, so there's no redemption fee, just to clarify. The only fee you're paying is when you take out the loan initially, and that fee will fluctuate, but that is the only fee you're paying. And you don't actually pay that, it just kind of comes out of the, it's rolled into the loan upfront, that's it. Right, so we, we don't, like we wouldn't use the term redemption for like this process of repaying and retrieving your collateral. I guess it's better to, like use the term maybe retrieval or repayment for that because we, we are using redemption very specifically for this broader type of redemption, which is let's say also um, a thing in in, uh, in Terra, for example, or in, in centralized or centrally backed stable coins like uh, USDC, where any holder of USDC can exchange USDC for US dollars. Ah. And that's the difference. So I see. So you're saying use the term redemption when somebody is um, e e exchanging uh, LUSD for ETH, right? That's the term you use. And then retrieval when you're paying off a loan, essentially. Yeah, or repayment and then Very retrieval good. of your collateral. Right? That's cool. And so the instead of having the you know the interest rates paid over time in uh, you know LUSD denominated terms, you you guys offer zero percent, but you've taken that that fee and put it somewhere else, which is a fee on the principal upon deposit, right? Uh, and so that you know th this isn't completely magic. There is a fee somewhere, inst but instead of on the actual loan, it's on on the actual deposit. Uh, and this is just one of the one of the the principles that we speak of on Bankless, like. If you can build it, someone will build it, right? And so somebody has built this, uh, you know, credit facility where instead of charging you interest rates over time, it just charges you as a deposit. And you said that there is like a, you know, a mechanism that uh, I, I perhaps uh, reminds reminds me of the Rye system with control theory, where uh, there's this, there are inputs and outputs, and the fee will go up or down based on those inputs and outputs. But specifically, not governance. It's more of a of a you know more autonomous, more robotic uh, system. And so that that control theory of uh, how the the fee raises and lowers in an, an algorithmic fashion 
and also only have ether only having ether as collateral is like some of the, the probably the two biggest reasons why we consider uh, LUSD a governance minimized stablecoin. Um, anything you want to add to that? And I, did I get that right? Yeah, that, that's a great summary. It's really governance. Uh, maybe we cannot say it's governance free because it's still reliant on an oracle which has its own governance. But except for the oracle, there is no single parameter or anything that we like as a company or the team or whoever like a governance body could change or uh, adapt so and the oracle is chainlink right now that's true we have a fallback oracle by the way so if chainlink fails and, and that's also part of our like philosophy we have a number of rules that are all algorithmically um determined like basically they they would see, like detect if there is an issue with chainlink and then they would fall back or the system would then use Telor. And so it can I, also switch back when training uh, comes back. So there's this. I just want to wrap my head around the, the borrowing piece um, again. So one thing that used to drive, drive me a little bit crazy about Maker from a borrower's perspective is you go and you borrow on Maker, right? And then one month you're happy because the rates are 2%. And then something happens in crypto. The next month, right, y- your rates are suddenly double digit. You know, I've seen, seen rates. I don't know if this was 2018 or 2019. It's all a blur to me now, Robert, but like 20 plus percent on, on a loan that you kind of took out when rates were like one or 2%. Um, this can't happen with liquidity because you're paying up front. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can choose, I'm not going to use the word redemption. You, you could choose to, uh, retrieve the loan, pay off the loan at any point in time. Um, but you don't have to worry about that variability in interest rate. Is that correct? Right. That's exactly one of the selling points that uh, this one-off fee makes the loans not only cheaper if you have a long-term perspective, but also much more predictable because you, you don't just- have... And that's just it. You kind of have to have a long-term perspective because you are paying this fixed percent up front. Right. So like you, you're not going to want to take this loan for a couple of days and then right. then retrieve it. And, and you can't go in and out of loans all the time. Like with, with Ave and Compound and Maker, you can go in and out, raise your loan, lower your loan. Like you can kind of touch, high touch loans. Uh, to me, an LUSD loan through, via liquidity is more of a low touch, long-term time horizon uh, perspective kind of loan. Exactly. Yeah, the, there's this trade-off that, uh, yeah, I mean, for very short-term loans, it uh, like the fee can be significant. But I guess already after one month, like with the current maker fees, if you compare it, it would become attractive. Very cool. Uh, all right. So y- y- you talked in there, Robert, a little bit about uh, LUSD and its redemption mechanism as well. Uh, we've had some turbulence lately in crypto. Right, some like pretty historic even uh, drops lately. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about how LUSD as a, a stablecoin has, or maybe crypto dollar, David? I don't know what ter- term you'd use for this. Crypto dollar. <laughs> crypto dollar. Crypto dollar. Uh, LUSD as a collateral-backed, ETH-backed crypto dollar, how it's performed. I don't know if the best place to pull this up is on CoinGecko, but but that's where I'm seeing some some prices. And it looks like this is the 30 day. It looks like it held up fairly well. Um, you know, maybe during some of these days on Wednesday, the okay, black Wednesday, is that what we're calling it? I don't know. It's dark gray Wednesday. It wasn't great. Um, <laughs> we, we had some variants. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Was this kind of to your expectations from a band of about, you know, 98 cents to stretching to a, a dollar and two cents, like kind of a four cent band? on uh, the crypto dollar or like, what's your take? How did it hold up during this recent market turbulence? Yeah, may- maybe one note on that. So we, we just noticed that this chart may not be, like may not reflect the real price because it had apparently has some issues with the curve um, pool. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we the, our largest uh, LUSD pools are currently on curve. And from what we can see there, I mean, we just created our own chart uh, it, it, had, it, it, I mean, it was a bit more volatile around like May 20th or when this happened, but, uh, it, the, the deviation was a bit lower, I guess it, it wasn't more than three cents, um, at least on curve. 
Um, so yeah, but I mean, there was, uh, there were a few uh, spikes in both directions, um, which, I mean, it's hard to say why that happened. So we, like what we can say, I mean, what we would expect is that whenever there is a sharp ether price drop, then people would want to repay their loans or some people would want to top up their collateral, but others don't have the means. So the only thing that they can do is either partially or fully repay the loans to, um, to prevent liquidation. I mean, they don't want to be liquidated because then they lose even more. So, um, and if people are trying to close their loans, so to say that would have an impact on the LUSD price. So normally, or in theory, that should rather drive the price up than down. And that's what happened with DAI and USDC uh, a year ago or so, like a bit more than a year ago in this Black Swan event. And there were like, there, there are also some like academic papers on, on that very topic. But now in, in, in our situation, it was a bit different. Um, so around that day and also the, the, the following days, the price, it was hovering maybe around 99, 98, 99 cents. And the reason for that I guess, I mean, it's hard to tell is that, uh, um, I mean, we have this stability pool. So in our system, people, uh, many borrowers have their own tokens in the stability pool. And if they don't, they can, uh, or when, if there is somebody in the pool, he may have an incentive to take out the LUSD from the pool and uh, put it like, or sell it somewhere in the market because this pool gets less attractive as the LUSD drops below $1. So this kind of stability pool can also act as a stabilizer in some way. So it would basically give more liquidity to the market so that borrowers have more liquidity available to buy in order to repair the loan. So that may be one reason why, why we didn't have this kind of sun spike uh, upwards. And also another reason is maybe that, I mean, LUSD is quite a new product or liquidity is quite a new project and LUSD is not acting as a safe haven, maybe as USDC would, when people are like just selling their ether for, for, for an, uh, like whatever stable currency. Yeah, I guess I was gonna say like it. It seemed to perform relatively well in not quite a black swan, but a gray swan, swan type event. Sixty percent ether loss. We would call that a black swan if if uh, the COVID if crash we... hadn't already happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or definitely if we were in mainstream finance, that would be like, <laughs> like, yeah. like incredible volatility, mm -hmm. um, unprecedented volatility. Mm -hmm. But like, I guess I, you know, it seems to me LUSD held up uh, fairly well in these mm -hmm. types of conditions. So it's nice to, I mean, you guys are, LUSD is like what, uh, a month or so in launched in April and, uh, you, you have one of these 60% drawdowns in month two. Um, not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we are really happy with this outcome. And it was like an early stress test of our system. And I guess this will also give some users or some prospective users uh, like confidence in the system so that they know, oh, the system has already survived something which is almost a black swan event. So uh, yeah, they, they should trust it even more than before. Robert, uh, you mentioned that the uh, Coin Gecko uh, price for LUSD might not be the best place to to view the price. Where would where do you go when you want to see the general value of LUSD on the secondary markets? Is there a resource that we can point our listeners to? Uh, so we just created a new Dune um, page uh, for the, the Curve price. I'm not sure if I can share it. Maybe I could do that. Um, Put a link in the chat, and we'll I'll. Yeah. Um... I'll show it on my screen in just a minute. Cool. And I'll put it yeah, into will, the uh, YouTube comments. Right. I think I have it right ready. Cool. Robert. Um, it's still we'll a work in progress, so it, uh, this may change a little bit. Okay. Let me just show that really quick. So this is Dune. Man, Dune does everything, don't they? Job <laughs> uh, it's just still loading. Let me share it as soon as it loads here. Cool. I hope my... Dev who created this will forgive me for showing off his like early work. <laughs> it's like kind of in progress. So you've seen the, like the middle um, mm -hmm. chart. Uh, it is, we have to, the, the axes are a bit like off, but uh, you can see that there was this uh, like underpriced um, event. But if you hover over it, it should show, I guess, the price. 
it was like three cents of the USDC. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Because like, you know, three, three cents is far off the peg, but like we, we have to put things into perspective. Ether dropped 60%. Three price, three percent, or three, yeah, three percent off the dollar for a, you know, call it twenty-four, not even twenty-four hours. Relatively, is like really good. That is what stability looks like. Well, last time, so just what's interesting, I think, about liquidity in this protocol is like um, last time we had such an event, sixty percent drawdown was actually Black Thursday in mm -hmm. March, and I remember looking at uh, Maker that day and just like crossing my fingers, like, come on, die. Come on, pull through. <laughs> but like uh, prices spiked to dollar eight cents, dollar nine cents, a dollar ten cents on some exchanges. And what's interesting about that is the remedy, part of the remedy following Black Thursday for Maker was what are we going to do? We have to add a whole bunch of uh, c centralized, collateralized bank mm -hmm. crypto dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm using the term accurately now, David, not stable mm -hmm. coins, crypto dollars. So USDC. And now we have a point where, you know, the, the compilation of, of DAI has changed over time and it's gone up and down. But now I think it's something like a third of DAI is backed by USDC. And yeah. as advocates, like the show is called Bankless, right? <laughs> like the show is called Bankless, guys. Co Coinbase right. is, God bless them, a crypto bank. We like them as a bridge to this new world. But if all we're left with is crypto dollars from a crypto bank, what have we accomplished here? Right. Right. So right. That, that, that's why this is a really interesting niche. Like Maker, great experiment. It's running, hugely supportive of MKR, DAI, DeFi. But this is another experiment, and it's not backed by any uh, central, centralized bank crypto dollars. It's backed purely by ETH and it held up in a gray swan, 60% drawdown event. That's what's cool here, in my <laughs> opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there is something to note of, uh, you know, existential risk of like what happens if all of MakerDAO is really just one collateral type. And if that one collateral type is Ether, that's one thing. If that one collateral type is a USDC, there's existential risk with, uh, you know, Circle and whoever controls the USD smart contracts kind of has leverage over the MakerDAO system. But then also it, it ultimately ends up just becoming a, an extension of the actual central bank, right? If, if the collateral is just like the dollar, um, the actual dollar, not crypto dollars. Uh, and so um, com comparing and contrasting Maker to, to something like uh, liquidity is a, a really helpful in this scenario. And kind of why like, you know, Ryan and I, when we when we put on our ETH maxi hats and we see a, a uh, an LUSD that's- Bankless maxi, sir. Bankless maxi hats, yeah. Well, <laughs> Ether as the most, one of the most bankless assets in the world. Um, Fair. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very, very competitive to a, a system that seems to be like, un, like Ether to me is like the uncorruptible asset, right? And so having the uncorruptible asset as the only collateral type and then having that stable coin uh, stay up, awesome. Robert, awesome. I gotta ask here because like, um, this seems like maker with tweaks, really cool tweaks, to be honest. Um, what about that Oracle thing? Can we get that out? Can, so Chainlink, uh, had Chainlink got on, explained Oracles to us, awesome. Um, but it is also an attack vector. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how Oracles might progress and whether we can get to an even more trustless set of Oracles or Oracle solution with liquidity? Um, yeah, that's an involved question. So, I mean, given that we cannot upgrade our system, even if a new Oracle became available in the future, we cannot like, simply just take it and include it. I mean, we will need to deploy a new version, but I mean, maybe that would be a good reason at some point for a version two, but, uh, but generally speaking, I don't quite see that many options on the, in the Oracle um, space right now that would be like a good alternative. I mean, we have Telor, for example, as our fallback. I mean, it is, it has this kind of decentralization approach as well, which I really like, but it's, like the thing that I see with oracles is that there is a very um, sharp or difficult trade-off between security and decentralization. Because, I mean, at least with the current gas prices, oracle providers need to be paid or at least compensated for the costs. 
And if you want to do that in a completely decentralized fashion, somebody needs to pay for it. And this may become an issue because you also need to, to somehow, um, I mean, if you do it really decentralized, then you need stakes that are locked up that can be punished or slashed if people misreport or like the, the, the providers uh, misbehave. So you need to be able to extract enough revenue from your users using your Oracle so that you can give it back to the Oracle price providers or give back like a high enough yield so that they would stake like millions or billions of ether or worth dollars worth of ether so that you can then secure a system that now like our system has like maybe a TVL of 2.5 billions. So you need to create an Oracle that has a, a similar TVL um, that the system or, or even a higher TVL that uh, the DeFi applications that is that it is powering. And that's kind of difficult to achieve. What about what about Uniswap and sort of a time weighted average uh, Oracle solution that they have put together? Does is that helpful in any way? So it also comes with its own trade offs, and I'm not even thinking of the fact that you have this TWAP period where you have uh, the issue that you need to set like a long enough period in order to have higher attack costs, but then your Oracle won't be as uh, like up to date, but there is this other thing. I mean, Uniswap is only able to give you a price for between two tokens. And then like, what would be the other token against which we can measure LUSD? I mean, we can measure it either against our competitors, so to say stablecoin or against centralized stablecoin. So then it becomes, it, it, it inherits these issues from like the fact that centralized stablecoins may go down maybe in the future and then this, this would also have an effect on the Oracle price. So uh, even that wouldn't be a perfect solution. Robert, one last thing before we break for sponsors. Um, I, I just want to show this screen, which is ETH locked in liquidity. Um, actually, this is, yeah, this is ETH locked in liquidity over time, April 5th, all the way to now. We've got had over a million ETH locked in liquidity. 1%. And 1%. 1 of um, $5 billion at its peak. And of course that's related to price of ETH too. Um, how did, how did this happen so fast? Yeah, we were blown away by this growth ourselves. Um, so all, like already during the first 10 days, it reached uh, 1 billion. And then around two weeks into the life of liquidity, there was one big trove or like a super. This one? Big trove was, yeah. <laughs> was I think I see it. I mean, we don't know it for sure, but uh, rumors have it that it was Justin Sun who just opened like a throw with 660 uh, 6,000 ether, uh, 6, uh, or 1,000 ether, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, and but but even like without him, uh, I guess the, the rest is already remarkably high. And uh, yeah, I mean. We wouldn't have expected this, but now it's uh, it's there and it, it happened like amazingly fast. When liquidity on Tron, sir, is it coming? You <laughs> <laughs> don't have to answer that question. <laughs> Robert, we have a bunch of YouTube questions that we want to get to. And thanks everyone who have been in the YouTube asking questions and patiently waiting for me and Ryan to get to those. So in the second half of this AMA, we're going to get to all of those YouTube questions. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. 
It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with Robert from Liquidity, and we have a bunch of questions from the YouTube that we want to get through, starting with uh, Justin, uh, uh, a question from Justin Dover. Are there any other assets coming to Liquidity other than Ether? Is that possible? And is that something that's on the roadmap? Um, it's technically impossible with the current version, and it's not on a, in our short-term, or not part of our short-term roadmap, but we are still open for future asset types that become available and that are suitable for, for liquidity being like a decentralized and, uh, and, and like system. So those collateral types need to fulfill a certain set of criteria, like being large enough, like the market cap needs to be like large enough so that we don't uh, become the main driver of the price. And also it should be decentralized and uh, like high quality, uh, just like to see. To be short, but then so maybe. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so when this becomes available, we would of course evaluate the possibilities and uh, and see what what we can do out of it. Robert, so, when I say things like uh, ETH is the only trustless collateral on Ethereum, people sometimes call me an ETH maxi. <laughs> um, sir, are you an ETH maxi? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm not an ETH maxi. So I think <laughs> it's just trustless in its own way. I mean, in its own right. And nothing else comes really close, but you never know what, what will happen in the future and, and what people come up with. So you should always stay open for new innovations. And yeah, I mean, that's, I think, my philosophy. There's um uh we, we've come across a number of conversations that have uh, had some sort of just like sure that's possible but we would have to redeploy uh, liquidity into like a version two right like if we wanted to update the oracles if we wanted to add a collateral type so is that something that you guys are are chewing on like a liquidity version two where we take a bunch of positive ideas and integrate them or is this something that you're the jury's still kind of out on and you guys aren't yet convinced about? We are in this phase that we. Our system is still young and we there are a few things that have already come up that we we are like evaluating some inputs or some things that we may want to improve in a future version but i mean it's not like currently our short-term goal that we would start working on version two but we keep collecting improvements new ideas uh, that could at some point in the future lead to a version two that would uh, be um, uh, like a massive improvement over the current system. And Robert, am I right here when we talk about version twos, right? Like we're not talking about governance being able to um, vote and, you know, uh, ch change kind of multi-stake uh, holders and redeploy updates and deploy updates, that sort of thing. We're talking about a version two in the way like Uniswap has a version two where version one doesn't really die. 
you know, version two comes along, version three comes along. And if the market wants those versions, then it goes and starts using them. That's sort of the, uh, governance by fork, I guess, you know, um, approach that you guys are taking too, similar to Uniswap. Is that correct? Exactly. So that's uh, the idea that people would choose either um, to leave or stay. Love that. Another question from uh, Justin Dover. Are, do you have any migration plans to go to Optimism, Polygon, perhaps Arbitrum? Do you have any uh, implementations with L2s that you guys are working on? That's a bit similar, though we have maybe put a bit more effort into exploring those solutions. Um, we are currently in this wait and see phase. I mean, we see that there are a few options, like there is Polygon, which is already quite popular. Um, but there are a few technical issues with all of the solutions that we have come, like, come across. So it's not like as easy that you could just simply take the system and deploy it uh, on an L2 solution, even though uh, they are EVM compatible, but there are a few minor details that are not that minor that you need to change. And we, want, we don't want to rush into those in this decision. Like probably there will be something which, because Ether or Ethereum is just not scalable. Uh, and it would be nice like an operating system that's much faster. But for the meantime, I would say it's more real or for the short term, it's more realistic to expect some maybe like only partial integrations, maybe in the sense that LUSD would become uh, tradable on a layer two solution so that you can trade it like for much lower gas costs over there and then maybe bridge it, like get back to the main chain, like through a bridge. What about LUSD integrations into various different DeFi apps? We just talked about how, you know, Ryan and I are, are have, you know, some concerns in the back of our minds about like too much USDC inside of MakerDAO to help stabilize the DAI price. Like what about LUSD in, in MakerDAO? Like that I think would be a positive step in a, in a good direction. Uh, any <laughs> other places where LUSD can get integrated into DeFi that you guys have your sights on? Yeah, so MakerDAO would be interesting, though it, <laughs> we haven't really uh, thought of that, right? Um, so other DeFi projects that could be interesting are like Alchemix, for example, but also Frax, um, where it could be used as collateral. Um, I mean, there are also other places which are a bit easier or even more obvious, like just uh, the DEXs, uh, like Curve and, and other maybe Sushi Swap, where we would just spread like make sure that like liquidity is available on on different places and yeah i mean we we also we are also like happy to see that some wallet and automation services are popping up or they 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 are now close to ready to uh, integrate our system and to name a few i mean uh yeah i'm not sure if i should name them so but there will be some news on that in the short-term future like, you know, we are already on Zerion and we are also on Argent, but there are similar like automation tools. Yeah, that's super cool. Like we, we do not want DeFi to be dependent on a centralized bank crypto dollars, right? And like with USDT and USDC, um, like these are all options and alternatives, but if DeFi becomes dependent on these, then we lose something. So having LU, LUSD there is... Uh, is really fantastic. Um, the the other thing that I find interesting is uh, you guys don't build your own user interfaces, which is kind of different, right? So like your approach with user interfaces, correct me if I'm wrong, is like you're providing the smart contract uh, infrastructure, you're building the protocol, but there's no like official blessed liquid user interface. You're depending on like Zapper or Zurion or anyone who wants to spin up their own user interface. And so we have tons of different UIs available. Is that the case? And why that decision? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's not as that we wouldn't or that we haven't uh, released any UI. It's just that we are not running it. So what we did is we launched with a relatively basic bare bones UI launch kit, which we provided for free, like for download. And the protocol has some enshrined incentives that make it attractive for third parties to run a front end because they get like a share of the reward based on the turnover that they generate or the users generate. And I mean, what we expect from that is some kind of uh, competition and innovation from our front end operators because 
they are like competing with each other and they, they also have another lever, which is a kickback rate. They, they can set a rate which determines which part of the reward should go to the end user and which part of the reward should remain with the front end. And then also they can compete by, by adding new features, by improving upon our launch kit. And we have already seen some innovation, but we expect to see more in the future. And we know that uh, some front ends are already working on and really interesting features which uh, yeah, will become available probably in the next few weeks. Maybe the Bankless DAO is listening to this. So there's some incentive to build front ends to Bankless products. Mm. Somewhat interesting. <laughs> Can we talk about the incentive? So uh, is this like almost like a liquidity mining type campaign? So if, I, if, if somebody builds a front end, what is the incentive? And may, maybe this turns into the liquidity uh, tokens next, LQTY. Uh, can you talk about the incentives there? And let's start talking about that token too. Yeah, maybe I should start with the token. Um, at the beginning, uh, I mentioned we have two fees, like the system generates revenue from the borrowing fee and the redemption fee, and it captures this revenue and it gives it out or it pays it to the stakers of our secondary token, the LQTY. So everybody can stake the token and then become eligible for a pro rata share of the fee revenue. So that's what makes the token valuable in the first place. And on top of that, we have a liquidity or mining or yield farming system, if you want to use that word, um, which basically uh, gives the stability depositors, like whoever secures the system by depositing LUSD to the stability pool would then become eligible for like kind of a community payout, like the system would pay out like newly minted LQTY tokens to those who are in the pool, like again, on a pro rata basis. So the more you, you deposit to the stability pool, the larger your, your share is. And then you can basically by staking, or sorry, by depositing LSD to the pool, you will get some LQTY over time. And then you can stake your LQTY in order to get the fee revenue. So that's the, the system, uh, how it plays together. And then also we have the front ends and they tie in through uh, the stability pool. So whenever a user uh, that goes through a specific front end um, deposits LUSD to the stability pool, then this user would become eligible for like getting a continuous payout of liquidity tokens but the system would maybe only pay out 95% to this user because this 5% would remain with the front end. Like the front end could set this kind of kickback rate and then uh, the 95% would be the kickback, which is paid out to user and the 5% would stay with the front end. It's like a referral fee, basically. Yes, and it's, yeah, and it's based on the turnover. So it's not just based on user count, but hmm. yeah. It's also adding a ton of surface area for competition, which at the end of the day, competition is always good for the customer. Uh, and so you're, I think it's, it's pretty cool that you're leaving a lot of competitive innovation into the hands of, of the implementers rather than the team itself. Uh, Kevin Awaki on our State of the Nation stream yesterday talked about decentralizing stress. Uh, and so handing off responsibility over to people who want to compete for, for reward sounds like an, an interesting way to do that. Um, Robert, we're coming down to the end of uh, our time here. And so we just have one, a few more questions that we want to get through. And everyone who's watching on the YouTube, thanks for being here. It's your last chance to get in questions. Also subscribe to the channel and like the video. Um, and, and Robert, I want to ask about the LQTY token, the, the liquidity token, uh, using uh, the MKR token as a mental model. MKR gets uh, minted or issued or diluted to uh, in the event of uh, you know liquidations where the system cannot uh, come up with enough collateral. Is there a similar mecha mechanism with the LQTY token, or or what is the LQTY token in response or in relationship to the protocol? We don't have a similar mechanism, so there is no minting. Uh, in, in case of an emergency. So the equity buy token has a hard cap. It's a hundred millions on its supply. What we have instead is a recovery mode, uh, which kind of acts as a lost, like as a way to re rescue the system in case of uh, an under collateralization risk, but we don't need to dilute the equity buy supply. 
And so how does the LQTY token capture value? Um, I'm, I'm assuming there is some sort of uh, fee capture mechanism uh, going into the liquidity token. Yeah, so we have the two fees, the borrowing fee and the mm -hmm. redemption fee, and they are both captured and uh, paid out to the stakers of LQTY tokens. So it's not a buyback and burn model. It's a fee revenue model. It's a capital asset. It's like a dividend payout rather than a buyback. Why do you like that better? Mm -hmm. um, good question. It, it, it's somehow easier to reason about, I would say. Though economically speaking, I think in a perfectly rational world, the two should be economically equivalent. But for some people, it's easier to reason about like, uh, or that you can keep your principle, like you gain something. It, it's like psychologically maybe more attractive than just the outlook of a, like a raising, rising token price. Why, do you, why did you say over the long term, a buyback and burn model or a capital asset model is logically the same? How, how do those converge upon the same things over time? Um, yeah, it's, it's probably hard to tell. I mean, the, the idea is that you, I mean, when you burn tokens, um, you would do that, I mean, to get some value. I mean, there is some reason why, why the system can burn tokens. And that's like for, like, let's say like you capture the fee through burning and it's the same value that you can capture through burning that you would be able to pay out to the stakers. Maybe there is one like slight difference here which is that when you stake, there will always be non-stakers. Like, it's not realistic to assume that 100% of the tokens will be staked. So it means that the lazy or like maybe the ignorance, they will lose out. So whoever is a staker would get like a higher relative share. While with, with, um, with the burning mechanism, every holder um, benefits in the end because the value- be a bit more of, active. Yeah. Um, and, and so, how do you think, do you think that fees paid to the, uh, to the system are going to be like relatively stable over the long term, or is there going to be waves of high fees and, and troughs of low fees? What, what kind of data or uh, speculation do you have on this? So what we've seen so far is that the fee revenue is very variable, like it varies from day to day and it can go up by 10x and then plummet by, by 20x. And like, it's really, uh, but you have to look at it like in a longer term perspective like you cannot say that uh, like the revenue will be stable so that's like maybe the part in our system which is a bit like unpredictable for for the staker but you have also have to take into account that you have no risk i mean as a staker you get your principal back so it's like a, a yield that you get without any added risk i think Very what's cool. cool about that is i think we'd only see a, a design like that in a defi protocol because in the traditional financial world, um, that level of variability, I mean, they probably wouldn't like that. You know, a traditional bank having, you know, a, a, a 10x spike and then nothing for, you know, a period of time and then another huge spike. But like a protocol doesn't care. Um, anyway, I have a final question for you, Robert. It's been a pleasure having you on today to explain this. Um, really excited about what Liquidity is doing. Uh, what other stablecoin or crypto dollar projects out there seem the most interesting to you? Um, I would say I like the hybrid approach taken by Frex. Um, it's an interesting approach because we have seen that like purely algorithmic stablecoins will probably are probably destined to fail, while other protocols like Liquidity are like need to be over collateralized, but then there is maybe a middle ground that can, can work, uh, which is less or even more capital efficient if you look at the macroeconomic numbers than liquidity. But I mean, it's a completely different system. It doesn't use like borrowing as its main driver and backing mechanism. And then in general on the categories, uh, it sounds like you're kind of bearish on purely algorithmic stablecoins. Stable Is that correct? Do you think a good stablecoin stable coin crypto dollar design needs to be collateral backed in some form? I fear that it doesn't really work without any collateral. Now there are like some projects like Terra, for example, and synthetics in a sense that are kind of using their own collateral, which is a bit similar to the algorithmic ones, but also it's also kind of a hybrid approach between the fully algorithmic stable coins and, uh, and the fully backed stable coins. 
And I mean, they have proven to work so far, but nobody knows what will happen in the future. And uh, Tara recently had some troubles with that uh, Gray Swan event, but hey, Gray Swan Bankless, let a thousand flowers bloom. We are experimenting. Uh, and uh, you know the, be the best protocols will rise to the top over time. So Robert, thank you for guiding us through that. Yeah, thank you for having me. Robert, if people want to find out more about Liquidity and join the community, where should they go? They should go to liquidity.org and uh, just find our Discord and join uh, the community. It's a very active community. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, thank you again for coming to this Bankless weekly, uh, bi-weekly, excuse me, AMA with Robert from Liquidity. If you guys are watching on the YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe because we do this every other week. And we also want to know from you, who do you guys want to have on next on the show? Who, what, what questions, what projects, what people in the space do you guys have questions for? And that's why you should subscribe to the YouTube. Uh, and Ryan, will you please do the canonical disclaimer? Of course I will. Uh, guys, ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. So is liquidity. All of this stuff is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.